Hello everyone, welcome to the International Business Podcast. If you work across time zones, borders and cultures, this is the show for you. I'm Leonardo, founder and host of the show, but let's make it simple and just call me Leo. I'm based in Shanghai and I'm accompanied by two co-hosts, Stefano, based in Paris, and Audrey from San Francisco. Coming up on today's episode. You know, COVID has really accelerated um, this trend towards direct-to-consumer or DTC. Um, it, it had already been sort of in progress, you know, the, this shift from bricks and mortar or standalone stores to direct-to-consumer. Yeah, look, I, I joined Burton and, and helped them with their, uh, their Asia business, Asia Pacific business in particular. And there was a number of uh, initiatives that they brought me on board for and uh, sought my advice on to, to solve for them. Um, you know, and look, I, I can't get into too many of the specific details, but they had some challenges in there. Dene is the advisor to the MD and CEO of Abu Dhabi Securities Exchange. With more than 15 years of financial leadership experience across emerging markets, he's applying the lessons learned to the outdoor sports industry. You can find more details about the guest in the show notes. Now, let's get into it. Hi, Dene. I'm glad to have you on. Welcome to the show. Hey, Leo. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. I would like to start and ask you this. Why would you define yourself as an international professional? Look, I think uh, the reality is I, I probably don't think of myself as an international professional in part because I don't, uh, I don't see myself as being any different from anybody else because I just, my day-to-day business is to work internationally. I never set out to be an international business person. It's just, I pursued a career and my passions and my interests. And it just so happened that it took me to Singapore and it took me to Hong Kong and working regionally across Asia and, and, uh, and Europe. And then now I'm sitting in the Middle East as well. So I never sort of, I guess, tried to craft a career as an international business person. And I don't see myself as an international business person because everybody that I work around and, and engage with are all in the same boat and all in the, in the same situation. So it's a, it's a nice mix and a happy mix. So you mentioned Middle East, uh, Australia, Hong Kong and Singapore. You worked over a decade in finance. What can you tell us about this decade across all these countries, though? Yeah, look, I think the, the thing that was most, uh, I guess, common across that experience of, of working across all these different countries and regions has been the need to be very adaptable and um, you know, thinking about how you solve problems and issues in environments that you're not necessarily familiar with, adapting to cultural change and being a little bit of a, a Swiss army knife of, of skill sets and abilities. And I think you can end up sort of finding yourself being quite narrow when you stay in one particular industry or one particular country or a, or a head office. And, you know, sort of going out into the broader world means that you're forced to, to learn some new skills and engage with lots of different ideas and perspectives. And you find that over time that they, they find their way into your own toolbox of, of skills and, and give you some perspective on the way that you approach problems and approach uh, issues and, and go about trying to solve them. So now you work at the Abu Dhabi Securities Exchange. For the audience, Danny, could you please define what is a market for trading securities and what is the role of Abu Dhabi in the financial world? Yeah, sure. I mean, for the first part, the, a securities exchange or a stock market is ultimately it's there to um, provide an ability for people to take ownership in companies and for companies to raise liquidity. And 
you know, the mechanism with it, with uh, the way that that occurs has changed over time and it's mostly done digitally now. But what it provides is uh, people to have an opportunity to take ownership and take a shareholding in a company and do it in an environment that is controlled and regulated uh, by an exchange and by the, the regulations within that particular country that, that, uh, that dictate those rules for the exchange. So, you know, it gives people confidence in the companies that they're buying a share ownership in. Um, because we also try to ensure that those companies have met certain uh, rules and regulations prior to listing and maintain you know, those requirements throughout that period of time. So we kind of do that first round of due diligence for people uh, in that sense. So the Abu Dhabi Stock Exchange or the ADX, as we call it here, you know, it's got a key role as being at the core of regional capital markets. And you know, there's a, a very big push at the moment and a lot of emphasis around establishing you know, Abu Dhabi as a, a regional uh, center, much like Singapore is for Southeast Asia. And, you know, the, the regulations and the rules here are constantly being updated and amended and changed in such a way that, you know, it's making business life here in the UAE much, much easier. And the exchange plays a really critical role in doing that because it provides for, you know, uh, effective capital markets, it provides for uh, companies to find and attract liquidity. So it plays a really key role in that economic development of the country. And, and it's an exciting phase for ADX because there are so many things happening within the exchange at the moment that will really um, uh, provide such a, an incredible springboard for not only the, the economic development here in the UAE, but also for the companies here who are looking to see how they can scale and grow internationally. Liquidity management, compliance, risk management, and outdoor sports. What, what I mean, probably listeners are like, what? So tell us about the, the connection, the link about these, I would say, kind of our related things. Yeah, look, uh, you know, the reality is I'm, I'm not just a, a banker and a finance guy and an accountant by training. You know, I've spent you know, most of my life trying to get into the mountains and be back in the mountains. And you know, I've spent a lot of time as a snowboarder myself and mountain biking. And you know, that started long before my professional career. And you know, the mountains keep calling me back and I keep finding myself wanting to be back in the mountains and wanting to, to spend as much time as I possibly can. And you know, now as a father, you know, I'm trying to expose my children also to those same sorts of environments that I have such a, a passion and a love for. So, you know, that from my perspective, the mountains just call me back every single time and it's what I desire to do. And, you know, then, you know, your question around liquidity, risk management, finance, all of these sorts of things. Ultimately, I have these two passions, you know, which is around, you know, the business side of things and, and the outdoor sports side of things. And how do I bring those two particular pieces together? And look, passionate outdoor people make fantastic products, incredible products, because often, you know, they're trying to solve a problem that they've seen in the field themselves over and over again. And they set out to try and solve for that. And the products are incredible, but they can really struggle when it gets to trying to scale that business and grow internationally. And, you know, it kind of makes sense. They didn't start out to, to be a global business. You know, they started out to create a product, make a product, maybe make it for their friends um, or have, you know, have it in their local ski shop or their local bike shop. And then things kind of get out of control for all the right reasons. And now all of a sudden they have a, a, this growing business and now they have to start thinking about all of the complexity that comes along with that. 
And what we do and what I do is, is help outdoor businesses get their model optimized, you know, scale internationally, connect them with partners who can help enter new markets. And, you know, the principles and frameworks that, you know, very large, very well-funded organizations use, you know, to go about growing internationally, to enter new markets and to think about how they manage a lot of the complexity that comes from a, a global business they can absolutely be applied to these smaller to medium-sized businesses at various stages in their journey. And that's what I'm trying to do is, is marry up those principles, that, that structure, that framework, and that thinking that comes from those types of businesses and applying that you know, into the outdoor sports business and help them achieve as best they can. Perhaps I'll make you laugh here. When I was young, let's say, I don't know, 14, 15 in Italy, the way I'm going to pronounce the, the brand that will make you laugh, we call it Barton. That's how we call it in Italy. How do I pronounce How do I pronounce it? Then I get to the question. How do I pronounce it correctly? I never said uh, it. Burton. 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 Very different. You know, for me, you know, <laughs> when I was a teenager, it was Barton. So Burton, tell us more about your role at Burton. Yeah, look, I, I joined Burton and, and helped them with their, uh, their Asia business, Asia Pacific business in particular. And there was a number of uh, initiatives that they brought me on board for and uh, sought my advice on to, to solve for them. Um, you know, and look, I, I can't get into too many of the specific details, but they had some challenges in their, their career business um, just prior to the, the Korea Winter Olympics four years ago. And they were also looking at how they could best optimize their business in China. Um, you know, at, at the time, they had a, a mostly a, a distributor business there. And their model was, was mostly focused around how they distribute to existing retailers. And they were considering, well, how do we enter a bricks and mortar sort of uh, relationship? How do we grow our business? And at that point in time, they already knew that the China Winter Olympics were coming that, that had just been held. So this was a couple of years ago. And how do they position themselves to best optimize that opportunity? And, and as you would know, being in Shanghai, there's been a, a very large push by the Chinese government around participation in winter sports. And I think the target they had across all winter sports was something like 300 million active participants in winter sports. So a huge opportunity. And, you know, my role in China for Burton was actually to help them assess, you know, what was going to be the optimal model for them to grow in China. Um, and then ultimately, once we decided upon that, which incidentally was, you know, uh, setting up a, a joint venture, a JV with uh, Hill House Capital, um, was to actually go through and, and find who that right partner, that right JV partner was going to be and, and assess them and, and work out whether or not they were going to have the right customer acquisition, the right ability to uh, set up bricks and mortar. You know, how, how are they going to also uh, channel into direct-to-consumer? So there were lots of little elements through that we needed to, to uh, focus on. And, and you know, ultimately, we found a partner for Burton and, and set them up. So it's been a great relationship. And you know, also a dream of mine as a, as a Burton snowboarder myself since I was a teenager, it was fantastic to then be able to take what I was doing and, and work along alongside uh, Burton and, and the great team they have there. And, and you know, I was blessed to uh, be able to meet Jake Burton, um, you know, whilst he was still with us and, and his wonderful family. And it was a fantastic experience and, and, you know, a really good outcome as well. What impact does climate change have on outdoor sports and what founders are doing to improve sustainability and our environment? Ultimately, it's changing the environment that we enjoy and play in every single day. Um, and frankly, it can be pretty devastating to see what is happening um, from, a, from a climate change perspective. You know, as somebody who you know, loves winter sports, you know, the season, the winter sports season is changing and, you know, it, it's having a significant effect an impact on the way in which people can access the outdoors, everything from 
you know, just snow coverage um, and the impact it has on the environment, you know, later in the season, because often that snow coverage is in water catchment areas. And, you know, it has a downstream impact, you know, throughout the the other months as, as that uh, snowpack melts to making the outdoors more dangerous. I mean, in the wintertime now, um, you know, most of the mountains are far more dangerous than they were previously because, you know, we have such large variations in temperature throughout the season that you get, you know, very unstable snowpack and more avalanches. And, and you know, you combine that with the fact that more and more people are, are heading out into the, uh, I guess, the side country, back country, slack country. And that, uh, that means that people are more exposed. But look, climate change is changing everything for not just the outdoor sports industry, but for everybody, uh, you know, uh, I'm from Australia and Sydney right now is, is uh, being flooded by torrential rain. So, you know, it is going to continue to impact, you know, the way in which we engage the outdoors. And I, and I think, you know, as more and more people have uh, been engaging the outdoors in particular, the last few years, I think, you know, they're becoming much more aware of those impacts and, you know, the outdoor sports industry has a really strong responsibility to, make sure that they're um, highlighting the issues and also playing their part in, in trying to solve for some of those issues and, and bring awareness. And, you know, the great thing about the outdoor industry is it brings awareness by enabling people to get into the outdoors and to go and enjoy and experience the outdoors. And by enjoying and experiencing the outdoors, people are then exposed to, you know, what's actually going on um, and they can see the impacts of what's happening with climate change. This episode is sponsored by International Expansion Explained. Are you looking to expand internationally, but you're not sure where to start? Or you export already, but would like to venture further overseas? Reach out to arrange an international clarity session and learn more about growth plans at katherineread.com. That is K-A-T-H-R-Y-N-R-E-A-D dot com. What are the key trends and growth in the business of outdoor sports? What do you forecast that will happen in the future? Look, there's there's a few very large trends that I personally see. And, you know, first of all, you know, we've already touched on this a little bit around sustainability. And, you know, there's a huge trend, not just in outdoor sports, but other, other areas as well. But sustainability and purpose in particular within the outdoor industry, I, I think, you know, as a brand, as a, as a um, product set, you know, you need to really understand you know the way in which your product is put together and and the way in which you contribute to some of the challenges that we're now facing um, as a society and you know you need to be very clear about what that purpose is going to be and, and how you're going to address that so sustainability and purpose is a big one you know COVID has really accelerated um, this trend towards direct to consumer or dtc um, it, it had already been sort of in progress you know the, this shift from bricks and mortar or standalone stores to direct to consumer and most brands were trying to figure out how do how do they get their DTC uh, correct. But you know, COVID was a, a natural accelerant for that. You know, I think we're now seeing, um, the, I guess, the people being less focused on bricks and mortar as a, as a straight up uh, almost sort of product warehouse, and much more as another opportunity to engage and create experiences that are unique. Um, in-person experiences as opposed to just being four walls and a bunch of shoes and some jackets lined up and those sorts of things which was probably the the uh, the trend you know 10 15 years ago but i think that's a, a big shift there's been a huge number of tools that have come to come to the market as well that allow smaller brands also to accelerate that the that dtc shift and more importantly i think 
you know, COVID has, has really opened up the eyes of a lot of consumers to the fact that they just didn't have the choice of going to stores for, for a long period of time. So then they became very comfortable with ordering online and, and going through these uh, DTC channels. And it can't, be, um, it, it can't be ignored that Amazon has played a big part in getting people very, very comfortable with ordering and having things shipped to them online. And then I think the third thing around that is a little bit around uh, individualization of product and experiences, you know, as opposed to just having one product that is, you know, sort of marketed for you, Leo, or myself and, and everybody else. The fact that companies can effectively create avatars for us as a consumer, they're able to much more um, uh, personalize those experiences and, and the products that we will see that we'll be able to engage in and those sorts of things. I think also connected to that is around being connected all the time, everything from smartwatches to sleep monitors to creating communities online, you know, whether you're Mammoth and creating your, your um, online um, community there, whether it's Strava or, um, or any of these other products, I think that ability to be connected all the time, but it does also create challenges for products because, or sorry, for brands, because ultimately they need to be facing into all of these channels, you know, bricks and mortar, direct to consumer, Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok, and then some of these other, other channels that are emerging as part of these more niche um, uh, community groups as well. So that's a, that's a big trend and I, I see that accelerating. And then probably the final big trend I see at the moment is urbanization and mobility. You know, frankly, you know, a lot of the 10, 15 years ago, a lot of the marketing, say, for a North Face or a Patagonia were, was much more targeted at people who were genuinely going out to climb mountains. Um, and you saw that in all of their advertising. And, and, Frank, and, and from there, people had an aspiration. They, they wanted to be the person at Everest Base Camp. So then they would buy a North Face puffer jacket and they would have some aspirational linkage to that. But now brands understand that you know there, there is a certain subset of people that really want to have that aspirational linkage. But then they're also recognizing that there's a lot of people who really want to be able to feel very comfortable using those products in their urban environment. And so you've seen a large shift in a lot of these big companies that they don't need to just um, market their extreme hardcore product range and, and you know their heritage they they are also starting to feel very comfortable in realizing that you know the consumers and customers want to feel great going for a run down the street or um you know wearing this stuff over the weekends and doing their their day-to-day -day activities so that's a big one so i think they're the key trends that we're, we're really starting to see and, and a bunch of those have been accelerated by covid um and you know i think you know, we'll continue to see further things emerge. But of all of those, uh, sustainability is, is 100% probably the biggest one. Let's focus a little bit more on COVID and how it affected uh, outdoor sports. So, I mean, following the recent disruption to global logistics, according to your experience, how did founders navigate the supply chain challenges? Look, I mean, supply chain was was just one of the the big challenges for for these businesses in COVID. But certainly, I think you know, one of the challenges that came out of it was they had to be great at inventory management. It really highlighted these businesses that had gotten away with just in time ordering and and being able to rely on the fact that if if things got really tight, they could always um, call up their factory in China or in Vietnam and have product shipped to them within a week or two. And through COVID and the supply chain issues, that was just simply just not possible. So, you know, it really highlighted the businesses that had focused a lot on inventory management and the way in which that they um, pre-ordered and, and filled those orders throughout the season. So I think 
you know, that was a real challenge for a lot of companies who had got hooked on the, on the drug of just-in-time ordering. And I think another big trend is it, it forced people to really, or companies to really think about where they get their product made. And, you know, obviously China has been an incredible powerhouse of, of innovation and scale when it comes to manufacturing product. And the things that we see now in the market just would not have been possible if they hadn't, hadn't been done uh, at the scale that China did. But certainly the, some products and some, uh, you know, some of the things that are being done by companies at the moment, they are definitely sitting there thinking, do we need to do it in Asia? You know, if you're an American uh, uh, manufacturer or an American brand, do you need to do everything in Asia or could you do some things in Central America? Could you do some things locally, um, you know, back within your, your local market? And I think, you know, there's been a big shift as well in the consumer who are willing to pay a higher premium for products that are designed and manufactured in Italy or designed and manufactured in Australia and so on. So I think there's always going to be the people who want a $5 t-shirt but then there's always going to be people and that can only be achieved really by manufacturing offshore. But then there's always going to be some people who are prepared to pay that premium uh, if that product is manufactured locally and, and in a more sustainable way, because I think the supply chain issues that were discussed also brought to, brought to the front of mind, the fact that it's a very unsustainable business model, having, having these things done in a way that they were done. So I think that inventory management, um, it was a was a big issue, and uh, the products that or the brands that did very well in pivoting were the ones that were able to think about where they actually manufacture their products. Quick question: ski or snowboard? <laughs> uh, it depends who I'm having a drink with the bar at. But uh, look, uh, snowboarder, uh, definitely a snowboarder. But um, uh, you know, it's my my best friend who I go riding with. He's a skier, so. Uh, I'm I'm friendly to all to all that come on the slopes as long as they're having a good time and I can hear them whooping it up through the trees as we uh, as we as we ski so it's it's all good. I've got one final question I ask everyone who comes on the show. Please share with us one memorable moment from your international career and that could be a funny one, a catastrophic one or even a successful one. Well, look there's, there's been a lot um, but one that I know that uh, could have been very you know, very easily catastrophic, but ended up being a win was, you know, I talked about the JV with Burton earlier and uh, I was in Hong Kong with the Hill House Capital team and and some some others from Burton and, and uh, you know, Zhang Lei, who's the, the, um, the, the principal of the CEO of Hill House Capital, sort of walked into the office at three o'clock in the afternoon and said, right, that's it, enough deal making, let's go. And so we didn't really know what was going on and, and we went down and we got into, into a car and went for a drive. We went over to uh, to, to Sai Kung, um, another part of Hong Kong, and and uh, we got on a boat and went out to his bigger boat, which also had a wakeboarding boat attached to it. And we went wakeboarding with uh, Zhang Lei, and uh, it was a fantastic afternoon. But the, it was a memorable moment because one minute you're trying to do a deal in a boardroom in 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 uh, central Hong Kong, and then the next you're wakeboarding out uh, out in the bays of Hong Kong. And it could have been catastrophic because Zhang Lei went first and he got out the back of the boat. And uh, starts starts uh, wakeboarding, and then he drops the drops the rope. So he's now wake surfing, and myself and the other Burton guys are looking at each other, going, "We better not screw this up, otherwise we're going to lose all credibility of, of being people who are passionate about board sports." So thankfully, we spent a great afternoon wakeboarding and wake surfing out in Hong Kong with Zhang Lei. So it was it was a great time, very enjoyable. Danny, before we go, after listening to this episode, who should connect with you and tell us a bit more about your current role 
Sure. So, you know, the people who should connect uh, are companies that are definitely looking to see how that they, they can scale, how they can grow internationally. Um, if they're facing particular uh, challenges in taking their business to that next step and, and thinking about, you know, optimizing that business model for themselves. You know, typically these are small to medium-sized businesses um, that are reaching growing pains, reaching the end point of, you know, their own, um, you know, their own uh, experience. And they just need somebody to come in with a different and a fresh set of eyes with, with the sort of experience that I've got to think about how to solve those problems that they have facing them in that next phase of, of their, of their, um, their growth and, and taking their brand to the rest of the world. So, you know, I think um, these brands are, like I said, they're, they're fantastic brands and, you know, they sometimes just need a little bit of help getting them across the line of that next stage. Yeah, and currently, you know, my role is multifaceted and I look at a number of different companies and help them. Uh, I'm the advisor to the CEO of the Abu Dhabi Stock Exchange. Um, I'm also helping a number of startups here in the UAE um, at various stages, um, both friends and family through to Series C, just helping them navigate the the challenges and growing pains that come with uh, getting themselves ready um, either to um, you know, face into a SPAC or an IPO at some point down the, down the track. And then also assisting a couple of sports brands in the US and uh, and one in Europe, uh, helping them, you know, exactly as we talked about earlier, growing internationally, thinking about how they channel into into new markets in particular, and how they face it facing a couple of their problem statements at the moment. So wearing a few hats, but uh, it's enjoyable, it's good fun, and it's always interesting to to talk with great people who are facing genuine problems. Danny, I want to thank you for your insights. Thank you for joining us on the International Business Podcast. Thank you very much, Leo. You can find the podcast on all the major platforms. Make sure to subscribe. Do not miss the weekly episodes. And are you an international professional? Connect with us on LinkedIn to come on the show. For now, cheers.